Let me rush to publicly express my gratitude to Dr. Greenway for the invitation to come again to the Southwestern Seminary. It is always a joy to be here to be with you. Thank God for Dr. Greenway. We had an opportunity to serve with him as a trustee of Southern Seminary as he led the Billy Graham School. And uh, I praise God for his calling and work here and all that God is doing in the life, through the life of this school and among you. It is a joy to be with you. If you would get your copy of God's word and turn with me to Philippians chapter one. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we simply pray afresh that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. Give us understanding and we will obey your word and keep it with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter one, I want to point your attention to verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I want to meditate on these verses with you for a few minutes. Permit me to label it what happens to what happens to you. What happens to what happens to you. Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was under house arrest awaiting hearing and trial. The Philippians heard about Paul's ordeal, collected a love offering and sent it to Paul as a gift through Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus himself was Paul's, was the church's gift to Paul. He was to remain in Rome and to serve Paul on the church's behalf as long as necessary. But Epaphroditus became low sick. God mercifully healed him. And when he was well enough to travel, Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi to ease the concern of the Philippians. No doubt, Epaphroditus returned home to a hero's welcome. But once they rejoiced over his return, their concern about Paul and his circumstances and his gospel work resumed. I imagine Epaphroditus said, Oh, yeah, I almost forgot he wrote you a letter. Let me get it. The letter was read to the assembly. The greetings, thanksgiving, and prayer, verses 1 through 11, no doubt an encouragement. But when you get to verse 12, the interest of the Philippians is piqued. They will now hear what they really want to know about. How is Paul? Paul writes to them, I want you to know 
that the things that have happened to me have actually served to advance the gospel. Paul acknowledged things happened to him. Unplanned things, unpleasant things, unwanted things happened to him. But his focus was not on the details. His focus was on the outcome of the ordeal. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. His focus was not on what happened. He wants to talk about what happened to what happened to him. What happened to him was used by God to advance the gospel. James Boyce comments here, in one death sentence, Paul shifts the legitimate interest of the Philippians from himself to the great undeterred purposes of God in history. And I would commend to you this morning, brothers and sisters, that as you go out and serve the Lord, things will happen. It won't necessarily be your fault. Adverse things happen to faithful Christians. But things don't just happen. God is in control. Man has his wickedness, but God has his way. And God is able to employ what happens to you. God is able to manipulate what happens to you. God is able to overrule what happened to you and use it for his glory and the good of others. Romans 8.28 says it this way, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. J.S. King wrote, the things that happen to me are not by chance, I know, but because my father's wisdom has willed to have it so. For the furtherance of the gospel as a part of his great plan, God can use our disappointments and the weaknesses of man. And so I want to encourage you this morning to trust that whatever happens in life and ministry, God rules over and works through the circumstances of life. Let me emphasize both of those truths right out of the text. First, consider that God rules over life's circumstances. The concerned friends in Philippi wanted an update on Paul's circumstances, and moreover, they wanted to know how his circumstances affected his missionary work. Paul gives his friends a godly perspective on his worldly circumstances. I want you to know, brothers, that the things that happened to me have actually served to advance the gospel. Friends, God uses our life lessons to teach others about him. But this learn and return 
cycle can be short-circuited because there are times we don't want people to know what happened to us. Church can be a crazy place. By coming to church, I'm acknowledging that I don't have my act totally together, and yet so many come to church and miss the real help that they need because they come to church and wear a mask and want to pretend like everything is all right. Paul was the apostle that founded the church of Philippi, but he is not trying to put forth a perfect image before these saints. He says, I want you to know about what happened to me. But this is more than just the passing on of information. Paul, by sharing his story, wants to teach a lesson and correct a misunderstanding. They no doubt knew about what happened to Paul, but his concern was that they did not properly interpret what happened to Paul. One that's driving is not the only one that has blind spots. So does the person in the passenger seat. Observing it doesn't mean you understand it any better than the one who is experiencing it. They had heard about what happened to Paul, but they did not properly interpret what happened to Paul. And so Paul tells them his story. He does not describe the details. He does not emphasize the plot. He does not identify the villains, he gets right to the climax of the story. All that happened to me has served to advance the gospel. He's describing that phrase actually describes Acts 21 through 28. And yet, the details we get in Luke are not mentioned in Paul. Here in Philippians, he doesn't mention mob attack and false arrest and unfair trial and shipwrecks and imprisonment. He just summarizes it all with an ambiguous phrase. It's just what happened to me. Some people don't want others to know what happened to them. Others whine, fuss, complain about what happened to them. But notice, Paul here doesn't dwell on the personal implications of what happened to him. He wants them to see how God was at work in the midst through what he had experienced. Let me pause here to say, this kind of godly perspective requires godly patience. Life is lived forward, but it's understood backwards. And so this passage was a reminder that we should be slow to give up. We should be slow to quit. We should be slow to throw in the towel. An immediate response to what happens to you may cause you to miss the redemptive purpose of what happens to you. Paul had to trust the Lord through circumstances he did not understand. 
And now looking back on those circumstances, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the things that have happened to me have actually served to advance the gospel. This is what you call the ironic providence of God. Paul, the gospel globetrotter who spread the good news of Jesus Christ has been in prison and you would think that would stop the progress of the gospel. Nope. Locking Paul up advanced the gospel. And the gospel didn't advance in spite of what happened to Paul. It happened through what happened to Paul. God was at work through all of the bad stuff that happened to Paul to get the gospel out. Warren Worsby said it well, the same God that used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's slings used Paul's chains. Little did the Romans realize that the chains they affixed to his wrist would release him and not bind him. This was not just personal testimony Paul is giving here. I, this is pastoral counseling. Paul knows that things were not easy for the Philippians. He says in chapter 1, verse 29, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Their circumstances were not the same, but they were, they were going through their own dangers, toils, and snares. And Paul's experience was designed to be an example for them. And it speaks to us today. Whatever it is that binds, confines, that limits, that restricts, it may be the restrictions of youth, the weariness of old age, the pain of sickness, the challenges of family life the responsibilities of work, the difficulty of your studies, the scarcity of your finances, a valley of indecision, the rigors of ministry. But whatever it is, this text reminds us that we should not live suffering from the if-only syndrome. If only, we think. I could just get to that ideal space, that 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 specific place, then God could really use me. Paul, writing from prison, tells us that you don't have to be in a special place for God to use you. He can use you right where you are. Sinclair Ferguson said that God's logic is very different than ours. We, we assume that the circumstances must be right if we're going to be really effective Christians. But God is not waiting for the circumstances to be right. He is committed to producing really effective Christians, whatever the circumstances may be. And so Paul says, what happened, God used to advance the gospel. The gospel here, of course, is the way of salvation. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. God sent his son Jesus who died at the cross and rose from the dead and the one that repents of their sin and trust in Christ is saved. But Paul is not speaking here of the gospel as a ticket to heaven. He is speaking of the gospel as a way of life. He is speaking of the gospel as a compass for ministry. 
His, his, his attitude here as he speaks of the gospel is Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. God used his circumstances to advance the gospel. The word here, advance, is the term for soldiers who would go before the marching armies to clear away debris and set a path. Paul was locked down, but the gospel was not locked down. His imprisonment released the gospel. He was restricted, but it opened new doors for the gospel. And I want to suggest that this was not just by providential orchestration. This was Paul's consuming passion. To ask Paul, how are you doing, was to ask Paul, how is the gospel doing? And if the gospel was going forward, Paul was content, even if it meant he never got out of jail. So the question on the table this morning, brothers and sisters, is this. What does the gospel mean to you? In your life, in your ministry, in your work for Christ, you will face things that you will not be able to handle, overcome, or understand without a gospel-centered perspective. True Christianity is a life of gospel sacrifice. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. God rules over the circumstances of life, but also would you note that God works through life's circumstances. He reigns over them, but he works through them. Life is a tapestry. It may look from one perspective to just be tangled string. On the other side, there's a beautiful design. The problem with life is we can only see the backside of the tapestry. Faith requires that we trust that God is working beyond what we can see. The unbeliever can only see what he sees. He only sees what happens to him. The believer trusts that beyond what we can see, God is at work. Paul says God was at work through the circumstances he was going through to influence unbelievers for Christ and to influence believers for Christ. He says God was at work to influence unbelievers for Christ. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. After a mob scene, Paul was arrested. He appealed as a Roman citizen to Caesar. He was taken to Rome to stand trial. He was under house arrest in Rome, we're told, at the end of the book of Acts. He was there for two years. And they didn't have uh, the modern monitors to put on him. They kept tabs on him the old-fashioned way they chained him to soldiers. Not just any soldiers, the imperial guard. The best of the Roman soldiers. 
ancient green berets. These were Caesar's own secret service. And after one watch, after one watch, after another watch, they were chained to Paul. And while they were chained to Paul, what were these soldiers doing? They were watching. They watched Paul's moods. They watched his actions and reactions. They watched who came and went. They watched his prayer life. They, wrote, they watched the letters he wrote and read. They watched how he cared for Epaphroditus. They watched how he communicated with friends. They watched him. And as a result of watching him, they drew a conclusion. This man is no criminal. If he's guilty of anything, he is guilty of being a Christian. Paul, Ephesians 3, 1, calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 6, 20, he calls himself an ambassador in chains. Paul says, the Romans locked me up, but it wasn't really the Romans that put me in here. Christ did. And he viewed himself as an ambassador on duty, not merely a prisoner on trial. They watched him. And they saw something different about Paul. All the rest, not just the guard, everyone who met Paul and heard his story knew that he was in prison because of his devotion to Jesus, which raised the great question, who is this Jesus? Paul was eager to answer, and not only was he eager to answer, he had a captive audience. They were chained to Paul, so he had a captive audience to preach to. And watch how God worked. He was, Romans 1.15, eager to preach in Rome. He came to Rome not as a missionary, but as a prisoner. He didn't get a chance to preach to Roman citizens. He preached to the imperial soldiers, and yet God was still at work. So that Philippians 4.22 says there were saints in Caesar's household. You may be asking, why me? Why this? Why now? If, if not, don't go to sleep on this message. Put it in the bank for a rainy day. Why, Lord? Is it possible that God allows what you are going through so that he can use you to reach someone for Christ? Like Paul, you are being watched by family members, friends, co-workers, classmates, nurses, doctors. You're being watched. Who, who's watching? I don't know, and that's why it's so important. You are being watched, and how you trust God through the challenges of life and faith and ministry are a part of how God wants to use you for his glory and the good of others. Paul's chains were used to influence unbelievers to Christ. It was also used to influence believers for Christ. Verse 14, quickly. He says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are more bold to speak the word without fear. Now he's referring to the saints in Rome, and he says they're Saints here who were hesitant to witness for Christ lest they be canceled. And they watched me go through. And 
watching me go through, these brothers have become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment to, to speak with boldness the word without fear. May that be how we minister for Christ. Boldly and without fear. That's how Peter and John ministered in Acts 4. And the only explanation the religious leaders could give, Acts 4.13, is that these men had been with Jesus. Let me conclude quickly to say two things. Don't have this kind of perspective. Christ must be more important than your personal agenda. Think of what Paul is saying here. You, you may not be the one God uses to do it. You may just be the one God uses to encourage the one he'll use to do it. And he may be using your present struggle to encourage them in their future success. Are you okay with that? Mark it down. The whole point of this entire section 12 through 18, 12 through 21, 12 through the end of the chapter. The point of this entire section is you can handle anything if Christ is your everything. You can handle anything if Christ is your everything. Note the first clause of verse 14. <laughs> Most of the brothers. It's a reminder that there are no perfect churches. <laughs> Many of the brethren, but not all of them, just most of them. Some of them, some of them didn't do the right thing for the right reason. He describes them in verses 15 through 17. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul was a victim of friendly fire. His dramatic language is saying that there are other men preaching, hoping to strangle me with my chains. What is his response? Verse 18, what then? Let me, let me paraphrase that. So what? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. You can handle anything if Christ is your everything. Lloyd C. Douglas, author of The Road, tells that when he was in college, he lived in a boarding house, and he had a morning ritual. He would come down the stairs burst in the door of the old music, retired music teacher that lived on the first floor and say, hey, old man, what's the news today? The old man would get his tuning fork, tap the side of his wheelchair and say, young man, the news today is that is middle C. It was middle C yesterday, it's middle C today, and a thousand years from now, it'll still be middle C. That's what Christ is for those who trust in him. He's middle C. You can handle anything that comes in life and faith and family and ministry and service. You can handle anything, but Christ is your everything.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth, wisdom, and authority. Thank you for the privilege of trusting Christ and serving Christ. We pray that you would help us to indeed view him as life itself and death in him to be even better. And may we live lives not just of gospel service, but gospel sacrifice. May our names be forgotten that your name may be glorified. Whatever way you need to work in our lives to glorify your name and advance the gospel, count us in, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.